The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference is sold out. If you want to be placed on a waiting list, send an email to lynn at issuesetc.org. When they come in there, it is with one plan for this woman, and the plan is that they get an abortion. We would censor magazines. We would go through and we would cut out pictures of babies, pictures of diapers. Whatever our group, whether male or female, Jew or Greek, again, all those categories have become so important again today. It doesn't matter when you've been baptized into Christ. He gives us a different identity. He'll give you what you need. It's it's an eternal peace. It's in him. And he absolutely will give you what you need each day. Pray to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my peace. Dear Lord, let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Into your hands I commend myself, my body, and soul. Amen. Hi, this is Mark in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and fathers watching their four-month-old daughters love listening to Issues Etc. We sometimes think of Christianity and Islam as roughly parallel to one another. Christians believe in sin. Muslims seem to believe in sin. Christians believe in one God. Well, we believe in one God. We differ on the Trinity, but they're roughly parallel. You might be surprised how very, very different Islam and Christianity actually are when you dig into the details, like that issue of sin. Do Muslims believe that we are born sinful? How do they regard sin? Is it the same kind of magnitude of a problem that it is in Christian theology? Would it surprise you to learn that Muslims believe that everyone's born a Muslim? Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Thursday afternoon, the 12th of March. We're going to be in part two of our series, The Teachings of the Quran. Today, Islamic Anthropology, What is Man? Is he sinful? Those kinds of questions. Dr. Adam Francisco will be our guest a little bit later. We'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. That email address, talkback at issuesetc.org and the comment line number 618-223-8382. Joining us for part two of our series on the teachings of the Quran today, Islamic anthropology, Dr. Adam Francisco, Associate Professor of History and Political Thought at Concordia University, Irvine, California, author of the book Martin Luther and Islam and co-editor of Making the Case for Christianity. Dr. Francisco, welcome back. Good afternoon, Todd. How would you describe in a nutshell the, and we're speaking here of this term theologically, the anthropology of Islam? Yes, I'd start by saying that it's almost the direct opposite of Christian theological anthropology in that Islam does not, in fact, vehemently rejects the notion that uh, we're conceived in sin and you know, we, we commit sins not because we make mistakes, but because we are, in fact, by nature sinful and unclean. So in Islam, there is a, this assumption that human beings are, in a way, more, born morally neutral, you might say, or some would maybe even go so far as to say where you're born originally righteous, it's the influence of culture or ideologies and, and other things that uh, lead you astray from that original righteousness. So where would you go to primarily demonstrate the teaching of man and his nature in Islamic writings? 
Well, there's a there's a few passages in the Quran that touch on it, and the the concept or the term that's used just once in the Quran, to my recollection, is this is uh, it's called fitra, and in chapter thirty, verses thirty of the Quran, it it, it uses this term and it uh, encourages uh, Muhammad to tell everybody to uh, return to their original fitra, their original disposition. And it's kind of a loaded term in Islam when, when, when that is being, when you're being encouraged to return to your original nature, you're not just being encouraged to return to your original righteousness, but Islam will go a step further and say you're being encouraged to return to your original religious nature, and that is uh, you are born Muslim. This is not in the Quran, but in the Hadith literature, in the most authoritative of the Hadith literature, the sort of the the um, the secondary source alongside the Quran and Islam in two places has Muhammad saying that all people, every single human being is born Muslim. It's their parents, or we might add by extension, their culture, other external influences that lead them to become Christian or Jewish or Zoroastrian or, or whatever else. And so you spend much time around Muslims, you'll find that if you meet somebody who has embraced Islam at a later age, you know, not, they're not raised in the, the tradition, they won't always refer to themselves as a convert, but rather a revert, where they've, they've left whatever it is they were before and reverted back to their original condition. And there, there's another passage in the Quran that, that speaks to this issue as well. It's in chapter 7, verse 172 of the Quran. It's, it's a bit... Now, depending on what translation you look at, it's a little, um, it's not entirely clear, but the, what Muslim, or how Muslims will interpret that passage is they will say that before or in the midst of God or Allah's act of creating, uh, he created every single human soul at the same time, raised them into, the, into existence at the same time, and struck up or established a what's sometimes called the primordial covenant between God and humankind, where God stands before these souls that have yet to be attached to a body, so to speak, and asks them, when you are born, when you are sent into the world, uh, will you confess me as your Lord? And every human soul responds saying, yes, we will. So, in Islamic thought, um, rejecting Islam, whether it's uh, because you've grown up in a culture that's non-Islamic or leaving Islam, becoming an apostate, is like the, the height of uh, one, the greatest sin. They'll call uh, apostates or non-Muslims oftentimes kafirs, um, usually translated infidel. What it means in Arabic is you've covered over even willingly Allah's truth. And so it's, a, it's not just a, you know, it's just sort of blind ignorance. You've actively, because you know from this primordial covenant with Allah, you've actively rejected what you know to be true. And so it's, it's the height of human arrogance. And some would go even further and say that in rejecting what you know to be true, you've actually set yourself and your ideas and your lifestyle and, and everything else up against in opposition to Allah. So I'm going to try and summarize this. They believe that everyone is naturally born, not only a Muslim, that is 
a believer in Allah, their God, but also without sin? Correct. Yeah, the sin enters, you know, when you're you're born and you you make so in Islam, sin is not like we conceive of it. Sin sin is more like a mistake. It doesn't come from a sinful disposition or a a person who's curved in on themselves, but rather it's just a mistake. Sometimes it's a you know it's blind ignorance. Sometimes it's willful. But when you commit that sin in Islam. All you need to do, I mean, there's no, you don't need to atone for that sin. You just need to do better next time. Get back on what the, the Quran calls throughout the sirat the mustaqim, the straight path, the path of the, the sharia, the path that leads to paradise. So sin is an affront to Allah in Islam, but it's throughout the Quranic text and kind of surprising to perhaps uh, Christian readers of the Quran. Uh, there's an emphasis on a a merciful disposition of Allah. But for in, in Islam, that mercy is just sort of a um, almost an arbitrary or a capricious uh, forgiveness of making a mistake. So long as you're, you're working hard to do more good or stay on the, the straight path longer than you are a, away from it. I guess that requires us to explore this idea a little deeper. Is sin a real problem? I mean, Christian... Theology would say sin is the problem mm-hmm. that confronts man vis-a-vis God. Is sin a real problem in the Islamic view? So this is kind of a matter of interpretation. I would say it is not. And I, I you know, I know lots of Muslims who would, if they were having this, the conversation that we're having, would say the same as well. The real problem is your disobedience and your loyalty to something other than Allah. So, like Islam, a lot of people like to say Islam means peace, or it comes from the the word salam, meaning peace. And actually, Islam and the the participle form of it, Muslim, means submission. A Muslim is one who submits, and that's that's the more important thing: is submitting to the will of Allah and being loyal to Him and Him alone. And throughout, it's sprinkled throughout the Quran, a lot of um, passages that suggest that if, if you are among the believers, as the Quran put it, and you make mistake, it's not an affront to Allah. There's just an encouragement to, to don't make the, not to make that mistake again. Okay, then that would explain why Muslims, from their perspective, find it so utterly perplexing that Christians would have a belief in the Son of God incarnate in human form, and then, on top of it, dying on a cross for the sins of the world. To be sure, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the number, but there's, I would say, at least a dozen, if not uh, two dozen, passages throughout the Quran that explicitly rejects the notion of any sort of substitutionary atonement. And the Quran will say things over and over again that says, reads like, uh, "One cannot die for the sins of another." And it's usually that's in the context of the the lineage of the prophets that you find in the Quran from from Adam up until the time of Muhammad, and so yeah, for Muslims have you know we oftentimes think as as Christians in speaking with Muslims if we get the chance to speak the gospel to them that's like the, the greatest opportunity but for from a Muslim worldview, the gospel that that Christ died for our sins and rose for our justification doesn't make any sense. In their mind, he didn't need to do that, nor could he do that. 
And they'll even maybe tack on, he didn't do that as a matter of fact. He didn't die on a cross. So evangelistic conversations with Muslims, there's a, you know, the tact you, you might take has to be very different than you would with, say, a normal person with a normal sort of conscience learned from, from Western civilization. So that raises a question. How do we communicate with Muslim friends how different our views of sin are? Dr. Adam Francisco will answer that question next. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him. And whereas we have fallen to temptation time and again, Jesus did not. Read the March issue of the Lutheran Witness to learn all about fasting and temptation. Read about how God called his people to return to him with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and learn about how Jesus gives us his perfect obedience in place of our sin. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teach, learn, connect at Louisville's Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Our school is the only LCMS school in the greater Louisville metro area. It's a traditional Christian school with a rich history of academic excellence. From preschool through eighth grade, our teachers, staff, and church congregation connect with children across our city every day. Learn more online at Facebook or Twitter or call 502-426-0864. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we will wrap up our study of John with Jesus restores Peter and Peter asks about John's future. Then on to Hebrews, in these days he's spoken by a son, Jesus and the angels, and how to guard against drifting away. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. We're discussing Islamic anthropology in our series with Dr. Adam Francisco on the teachings of the Quran. He's Associate Professor of History and Political Thought at Concordia University, Irvine, California. He had mentioned before the break that Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. Well, the cross is actually the climax and the center of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March. It's a children's book called See My Savior's Hands by Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Find out more about this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order See My Savior's Hands The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Dr. Francisco, how then do we communicate with a Muslim how different our views of sin actually are? 
Well, a lot of them who are aware of the differences between, you know, the, the more serious or devout or practicing Muslim who might be attached to, to a, like, for example, in America, some sort of Islamic community where they gather together and talk about the faith rather than just praying, you know, at the mosque on Friday, but they don't, you know, they won't normally do a Quran studies, but they'll sit and listen to an Islamic theologian. A lot of them are aware of it and are quite, I don't know if the word is proud, but are quite keen to articulate that Islamic anthropology is much more akin to, say, an anthropology that pops up in the Enlightenment and pervades a lot of Western culture, this notion that we're, to use the terms of John Locke, we're born with a blank slate, or even worse, perhaps, not just perhaps, but certainly worse, this notion that we're, we're born perfectible. Islam is much more akin or can is much closer to that anthropological assumption than, than certainly the, the Christian doctrine of original sin and, and our inherent sinful nature. So a knowledgeable Muslim will be aware of that, and they'll even use that point to emphasize you know, the irrationality, as they might put it, of Christianity or the, the incoherence of Christianity or perhaps the the uh, unfairness of, of Christian doctrine that uh, individuals are culpable or guilty of a sin uh, that Adam and Eve committed you know, thousands of years ago. So that, that's a, a big hurdle between Christians and Muslims, but also an interesting thing that Christians have to deal with when they think about Muslims proselytizing uh, non-Muslims in a Western context. I'm thinking about the implications here, Dr. Francisco, and yeah, I think it would make equally perplexing for the Muslim why Christians insist that Jesus did not possess original sin and that Jesus, it was necessary that he be sinless and in both his active and his passive obedience before God. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there, I mean, to refer to a source on um, answering-islam.org, there's a great article by a man named Sam Shamoon, who did some work with the Lutheran Hour Ministries years ago and put, produced a, a, you know, a series, I think, entitled The Challenge of Islam. He's got a, a two-part article on there where he combs through the Quranic passages that refers to all the, the various prophets and makes note that all these prophets, and including Muhammad, in the Islamic tradition are regarded as sinful. But he noticed, and pulling from the Quran and as well as biblical passages, he says the one prophet from the Islamic perspective that is, that is sinless is Jesus. And he uses that as a way to, kind of like the, the old, well, in, the, in years or centuries past, Christian missionaries and scholastic apologists from the Middle Ages would oftentimes try to build or articulate Christian doctrine from the Quranic text for a Muslim audience. And it is interesting that it does seem kind of contradictory. If Jesus is, from an Islamic perspective, sinless, why would he even need to be sinless? And uh, for, for Muslims, though, they're, they're comfortable living with that tension or that, that contradiction and not thinking much about it. And really, I mean, this sounds really simplistic, but when it comes down to it, the differences between Christians and Muslims, the, 
inconsistencies, the paradoxes, the contradictions that we might find in Islam for a Muslim don't matter so much because Islam is always right. I know that sounds simplistic, but one thing to think about with with Muslims and Islam, at least the more traditional variety, is they're, they're very ideological in that they assume everything that they believe to be tr- good, true, and beautiful, or absolutely true. And it's not true because they followed some sort of inductive argument towards it or they deduced it um, using logical processes. It's true simply because it's true. And there's no contesting it. And for many ways, that's one of the reasons why Muslims have historically, or Muslim-majority societies, have not really changed a whole lot because there is it in Islamic doctrine, as well as the Islamic worldview, there's a resistance to any sort of critical reflection on the way they do things. That's not to say that there aren't really sharp Muslim scientists, and there to be sure are, but generally speaking, there's a doctrine called taqlid that says um, every innovation is an error, and every error is a sin, an affront to Allah. And so, depending on how expansive one's Islamic worldview might be, the less inclined they are to begin pushing the boundaries of what they think to be true about the, the world and God and everything in between. Do they have something akin to an age of accountability? Again, if every person is born a Muslim, then at that point, they're right with Allah, so to speak, given that Allah can also be arbitrary, but they're right with Allah insofar as they're standing. Do they have that age of accountability? They do. It is not something that you can go to the Quran and find. And it, at least what I have found is it's usually relevant to a particular ethnicity within Islam and is at least I've found, connected often to the practice of circumcision of, of males in Islam. So amongst the Turks, typically the circumcision of a, a male will be, I think I heard as, as late as seven years of age, and that's sort of the age of accountability at that point as well. Arabs, it's different. So I've heard a number of different ages. Uh, I've also heard from some of my Muslim friends that the age of accountability is different for every person, depending on their you know, their intellectual development, their environment, and so on. Interestingly, I was not too long ago having, uh, I asked a friend of mine how Muslims think about abortion, because I've always just assumed that they would be largely pro-life. And he told me that um, that uh, abortion is permitted in Islam starting at a certain point in the pregnancy when the, the soul that doesn't combine with the you know, the flesh at, at conception, but is added to the flesh uh, developing in the mother's womb. And he, he had a real specific uh, month and day for it. He said at four months and 10 days, that's when the soul enters the body. And that's when that, that human being in the, the mother's womb is a proper Muslim. Now, when that child is, is born, if it's led astray early on, uh, because it's, you know, it's surrounded by competing worldview or ideological or religious forces. There's a lot of tolerance for that, at least as he articulated it. But once that child enters, he didn't use the term age of accountability, but once that child is conscious of religion and aware of God, which could come very early on, he said, as you know, early as you know, age four or five, or it might come later around in the early teens, uh, that's when 
a especially for children in maybe not a Muslim majority society, but a society that has a a Muslim presence. That's when a individual, whether they're defined as a Muslim or an infidel, is uh, becomes a, a real thing for them. Uh, whereas they're up until that point, they're pretty tolerant of where children land, uh, religiously speaking. You had mentioned early on that for the Muslim, conversion is actually a return to their, let's just say, pristine state as an original Muslim, as opposed to the very different teaching of what conversion is in the Christian faith. How do Muslims look at that then, when someone converts? Usually it's, it's accompanied by, so if it's, let's say it's in the context of America or, or Europe, it's interesting because it's, it's, some of my Muslim friends have, try, have called me. It's a formal issuing of a call to Islam. It's happened in parking lots. It's happened at uh, one time in the, the Center for Islamic Studies in, in Oxford, England, where they will formally say, okay, or say something akin to, okay, you, you know the truth. I have, for the last couple of weeks or months or years, we've been talking, and you know the truth of Allah. It's now time to make a decision. Now, they don't bust out an altar and call you up to it or anything like that, but they do ask if you're ready to confess the shahada, uh, which is the, the basic Islamic creed, if you will, goes there is no God or there's nothing worthy of worship but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. And if you say that in the, in the more strident or, or traditional communities, you have to say it in Arabic before two adult males, that formally marks you as a Muslim and let's say you uh, hypothetically go to a mosque the next day, uh, you'll be welcomed and the leader there, the imam, would give some sort of speech welcoming you and emphasizing to that Muslim community that you are now an equal among them. Uh, even though you might not know as much Islam, you might not know how to pray properly, you might not know all the dietary laws, because you've said the shahada, you are a, a co-equal with every Muslim in that uh, room, whether they're one whether it's one who's been studying Islam for 40 years or one who's uh, converted two weeks ago. Then with just a minute here, Dr. Francisco, they even have kind of an eschatological implication for this. It's repeated several times, thus you cannot say on the day of resurrection, we were unaware mm. of this. What do they teach there with about a minute? Yeah, it's almost like they're, it, the Quran says that in several places, but nobody has an excuse is what the, the point is, to, or the, is what that verse is suggesting that uh, nobody can say at the end of time when you're in, in the islamic conception everybody will be raised up into the air at the last day and they will stand before allah and they will be made to whole, uh, make an account for their beliefs and their sin and so on and so forth and nobody will be able to say well we are led astray why didn't you send a islamic preacher to us or something like that all will be judged at least at face value on the same standard Dr. Adam Francisco is Associate Professor of History and Political Thought at Concordia University, Irvine, California. He's co-author of the book Martin Luther and Islam and co-editor of Making the Case for Christianity. Dr. Francisco, thank you. You're welcome. When we come back, it's time for listener email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and your comments from the Issues Etc. listener comment line, 618-223-8382. See my Savior's hands. 
The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and personal loans, mortgages, credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Lutheran FCU supports LCMS organizations with its Spotlight Ministry program, and Lutheran Federal Credit Union allows you to make purchases with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay using your digital wallet. Learn more at lutheranfcu.org. Good for you. Good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. LutheranFCU.org. Concordia University Chicago is a distinctive, comprehensive university of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're committed to increasing LCMS faculty and staff members. Hi, this is Dr. Russell Don, president of Concordia University Chicago. If you're a member of our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregation, please consider joining our staff. And if you have a terminal degree please consider joining our faculty. Send us an email at human.resources at cuchicago.edu. Your sun-bleached felt church banners have seen better days. Held together with staples and superglue, they are a monument to Aunt Mabel's pastel-toned creativity from 1960. But it's time for a refresh. Ad Crusom has the solution that doesn't even need a Sharpie. We proudly offer Scapegoat Studios creations as well as Ad Crusom's original banners. Come and browse our wide selection of seasonal church banners. We also create banners and church signs to your design. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Sophisticated Lutheran Apologetics. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. Congregational Sponsor. Bethany Lutheran, Fairview Heights, Illinois. Emmanuel Lutheran, Arcadia, Indiana. Grace Lutheran, Henderson, Nevada. Emmanuel Lutheran, Frankentrost, Michigan. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Eola, Texas. Peace Lutheran, Chahalas, Washington. Redeemer Lutheran, St. Cloud, Minnesota. St. John Lutheran, San Benito, Texas. St. Paul Lutheran, Sevierville, Tennessee, and Trinity Lutheran, Tryon, North Carolina. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.